Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Um, some of y'all are crazy about Star Wars, so I can't say nothing about it. I'm just, just a stretch for me. I'm treading lightly. I'm scared. I'm in dangerous territory. So uh, the movie opens. I told you this last week, but I'm going to do my best to recap it for you so you understand. The movie opens with former scientist uh, Galen S. Urso. Why do they come up with weird names for folks? Bob Smith was living on a farm with his, no, it's Galen Urso, was living on a farm with his wife and his young daughter, whose name was Jen. Uh, he had this peaceful, uh, utopian existence until one day all of that came crashing down because this guy who was evil, he was part of the empire, his name is Orson Krennic. Uh, comes and forces Galen to come back and work on the world's most powerful weapon, the ultimate weapon in the universe. It's called the Death Star. And they needed a lead engineer, and so they force him to come and work on that weapon. Uh, so years later, Jen is now grown, and her father, who has been missing all these years because he's been in isolation working on this Death Star, sends her a holographic message that he had to work on the Death Star because the resistance or the rebellion's best bet to defeat the Empire and to get rid of the Death Star was for him to work on it, and without them knowing it, he's planted a virus deep inside of it the, the dilemma is that the virus has to be manually activated, of course, because as advanced as they were, they couldn't do it remotely. Okay, so, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So now what happens is Jen, uh, in a grow, she's grown, she uh, is part of the rebellion, the resistance, and she runs into this guy named Cassian, and uh, together, uh, of course, there's a love interest. They take on overwhelming odds, and they fight the empire. So, uh, but the scene that we're focusing on today is Jen has just tried to convince the leadership, all these different uh, uh, tribes, I guess, if you will, these segments of the rebellion, they all have leaders, um, and she goes to them and she makes the presentation that my father has let me, because nobody saw the message but her basically, my father has told me there's a way to destroy the Death Star and we can do it, rah, 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 this is what we're meant to do, let's fight. And all the leaders of the rebellion say, no, it's impossible, you can't do it, we're going to surrender. And so we see the scene, that's the scene we've watched, is she comes back and her friends are Cassians around her, the Kung Fu dude is around her, I don't know his name, and, and, and the, the, the hairy dude's with her, and, and uh, uh, they, they can tell by her facial expressions that, they're not, that the, the, the presentation didn't go well, they don't believe her, and they're not going to go fight, right? And they're going to surrender. And they bring to her attention that there's a group of uh, resistance fighters that want to join her to volunteer to fight the empire. 
I, it's a really hard line to hear, even on the original. It's really hard line to hear. But when I heard it, I was watching it at home, and I had to back it up and, and watch it again because she makes it. There, there, there's something that happens in that last moment that is incredibly powerful. All these guys are uh, uh, and creatures are <laughs> volunteering. It's Star Wars, y'all. Uh, volunteering to help her, and she makes this statement. She says... I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad. And then Cassian says to her, it's the last line that I played, welcome home. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Matthew chapter 9, and y'all are not going to believe me even if I tell you this, but I almost read the passage that is very similar to this uh, about friends carrying their friend to Jesus when they tore the roof off. I'm serious. I had it in my notes and changed it on Tuesday. I should have, we had an illustrated message going on. But anyway, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Back in the boat, Jesus and the disciples recrossed the sea to Jesus' hometown. They were hardly out of the boat when some men carried a paraplegic on a stretcher and set him down in front of them. Jesus, impressed by their bold belief, said to the paraplegic, Cheer up, son, I forgive your sins. And some of the religion scholars whispered, Why, that's blasphemy. Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, said, why, why all this gossipy whispering? Which do you think is simpler to say? I forgive your sins or get up and walk? Well, just so it's clear that I'm the son of man and authorized to do either or both. At this, he turned to the paraplegic and said, Get up, take your bed, and go home. And I'm going to stop reading right there, but you know the rest of the story. He did what Jesus said. He got up, and he, began, he walked away well. <clears throat> Exodus. I'm reading these out of order on purpose, by the way. Exodus chapter 2 uh, seems to be a disconnected passage of Scripture, but just hang with me. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Now, it came to pass in those days that when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren, and he looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he, took, he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to one who did the, the wrong, um, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Just hang with me. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Listen to this phrase right here because we skip over it. I'll come back to it, but I want you to just kind of tune in for a second. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. 
The movie clip that I played for you and these three passages of Scripture uh, revealed to us a truth that I want to bring to your attention. There is a principle. We know the principle. We forget the principle. Most of you, if you didn't learn it, uh, I'm going to reflect on when you learned it as a child, perhaps in elementary school, but you learned it uh, certainly in high school, uh, if not in college, but we should have known it before then. So let me just talk about this principle for a moment, and then we'll go on. Uh, there's a principle called the, the principle of placement. The principle of placement. I want to make this statement to you so you understand where I stand on this. Placement is paramount. We know this as elementary school students because how many of you, uh, some of you, this was like not so long ago, but for many of us, we have to really search deep within the dark crevices of our mind to go back and remember elementary school. But if we would go back and remember, we would remember just how important it was to be placed in the right teacher's classroom. Because some of the teachers made learning fun, and others, well, you know. And so uh, uh, there was this, this, this hope, especially if you had an older sibling that had already been through the same school system, you knew which teachers you wanted to be. Uh, so there was this hope and this, this sincere, I want this teacher because they, have all the, they do all the fun stuff. They go on the field trips. They, they enjoy. So we, learn, we should have learned as uh, children that placement is paramount. You you would have known this uh, uh, on the recess area on the playground because it was so crucial and so important to be on the right person's team. Uh, like there were certain people you wanted to be on the team with when the the, the call the cry of the day was we're going to play Red Rover Red Rover. You wanted to be on certain teams, right? You, there were some t- when they said we're going to play dodgeball. There were certain teams you wanted to be on, and other teams you did not. Placement is paramount. All you had to do was play sports. Uh, as you got older and you learn uh, that placement is paramount. Go talk to a coach. We, we happen to have the head football coaches of Bethany High School and the AD uh, athletic director of Bethany High School here in our congregation. You go talk to him. Uh, go talk to John Arthur and ask him uh, what will occur if you're on his football team and you're not in the right place at the right time. Uh, I, John's a nice guy. Uh, but he will run your hind end for hours uh, because any coach worth his weight in gold, worth his pay, worth, worth the, the title of coach will run you until he's tired if you're out of place because they know that if you're out of place, then the defensive scheme will not work because you are out of place. They know that the floor won't be properly balanced in basketball if you're in the wrong place. They recognize that all their plans and all their schemes to win the game will come up woefully short just because one person wasn't in the right place. And so they will run you. You consequently, if you're in the wrong place on a team, you consequently put, put the whole team the family, if you will, in jeopardy. That's not just true in sports. That's true in life. That's true in every form of business. That's true in every form of relationship. That's true in every form of church. If you're not in the right place, 
We should have known this long before uh, elementary school and Crack the Whip and Red Rover, Red Rover and all the other stuff that we used to play. Uh, we should have known it before sports. We should have known. We should have known. That all we had to do to know this truth about placement is go back and read in Scripture. Because from the very beginning in Genesis, it's all about placement. I want you to recognize. I'm not going to read it to you, but I want you to think back in your mind. In Genesis, we recognize in the in the in all of creation as God is is working. He spends five full days working on an, on the environment to place the man in. And so y'all missed it. He worked five full days to create and craft and shape the environment. And then he spent one day placing the man. He wanted to make sure that everything was right, that everything was in order, so that when he would put the man in the right place, he could function properly. We, we should know the, the principle of placement by reading the Old Testament. All you have to do is re reflect on the fact that, that when God gives Moses the instructions about how to, uh, to, to, to set up the camp, can you imagine setting up a campsite for a million people? Uh, if you don't have in some instructions, how many of you know it could get hairy in that moment? And so God gives Moses some instructions about where each tribe is supposed to camp out and how they're supposed to put their tents. And so you can go and read and there's all these instructions and schemes and I'm sure there were diagrams and flow charts and because he was a guy, and, uh, and, and and he would forget, and and he would, I don't know if he was married, so he couldn't stop and ask for directions. So so there there were these schemes and the all about placement, and then you go in the Old Testament, and you read, and it says, and they were all in their place. In the New Testament, you begin to read, and I. You can come confront me, confront me if I'm wrong, but I begin to think about all the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry here on earth, and I suddenly realized that almost without exception, I, I'm, I'm not sure I've found one yet, that it was all linked to placement. People were in the right place. You think about, you think about the fact that blind Bartimaeus got healed because he was on the right road. He was in the right place. The woman at the well had an encounter with Jesus because she came to the right place. It was all about placement. They were in the right place. And so I can say without hesitation to you this morning that your freedom and your advancement and your promotion are all tied to placement. Being in the right place at the right time matters. It's the principle of placement. You have to be in the right place at the right time, and there's a third part of this, catch this, with the right people. So my question to you this morning is this. I mean, I think I can answer it for you, but I'm gonna, I need to ask you first. How do you know when you're home? How do you know that you have been placed properly? Okay, let me help you. I believe that people reveal placement. I'm going to say that again because I want you to catch this. People reveal placement. There are, um, you, 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 you learn that you are in the right place by how people respond to your trouble. 
People reveal your placement. uh, Jen said it like this. I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad. That's because she'd never been in the right place before. Oh, it's quiet up in here. Okay, so, so in other words, there are only two types of people that we encounter in life. There are only two people, two, two types of people that you encounter at Walmart. There are only two people, two types of people that you en- encounter at school. There are only two types of people that you encounter in your workplace. There are only two types of people you encounter in your neighborhood. There are only two types of people you encounter in houses of worship. Only two kinds. One is they either run away from your trouble or the second kind of people are people that run to your trouble. So in this account that I read to you out of Matthew, what we see is a man who was in the right place. Okay, I'm going to try to help you this morning. He had people in his life who could see his pain, and they saw his issue, and they saw his limitations, and they saw his sicknesses, and they saw his liability, and they saw his deficiency, and instead of walking away from him, they pick him up, and they carry him to Jesus when he couldn't get to Jesus on his own. Okay, y'all are quiet. You got to have people in your life that carry you, catch this, forward. People reveal placement. You have to have people in your life that carry you forward, that carry you to the right place. In other words, you have to uh, discover that if people don't carry you forward, then Baby, you're not at home. You're not in the right place. Uh, in other words, you have to be around people who can get to Jesus, get, get to Jesus, get to Jesus when you can't. You think about the mindset of the woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament. Think about how she's thinking. She says this, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. She, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but, but think about that. what she just said. If I can just touch what's touching him. Y'all missed that. Some of you missed it. I, I recognize that I may not be able to get to him, but if I'm connected enough to the right people, the right thing, I can reach out and I can touch what is touching him, and it will change my life. You know you're in the right place when you have people in your life that when you can't get a hold of Jesus for yourself, you know that they can touch Jesus for you. Your home, when people around you see everything falling apart in your life, and they see everything going bad and realizing that you're in no condition in your own state of mind, in the pain that you're enduring, in the trouble that you're going through, through the trauma that is existing in your life, they recognize that you're in no condition to get to Jesus by yourself. And they recognize you have no ability to pray through right now. Your faith is gone. Your strength is gone. Your determination is gone. And they watch your hands come down. And they watch your head come down. And instead of running away, way they run too and they get to Jesus see some of you have people in your life 
They carry you to drugs and they carry you to alcohol and they carry you to all other kinds of distractions to try to help you forget. But they never carry you to Jesus. Some of you have people in your life that, that will try to carry, to you, carry you to rebellion and carry you to disobedience and carry you to irresponsibility and they reveal by, by that, that mode of operation that you're not home, that you're not in the right place. People reveal placement and if they're pulling you away from Jesus rather than trying to get you to Jesus, then you need to dismiss some folks out of your life because you're not in the right place. Some of you are surrounded by friends but you're out of place because when trouble comes, they run out. I need you to do this this morning. I, I, I just feel compelled that what we need to do is we need to, we need to talk to one another a little bit. Would you just reach over and touch your neighbor and say, I can touch him for you. Come on, tell him. I, I can touch him for you. Come, come on, reach over and touch your other neighbor and say, when everything goes wrong, I'll run in. I won't run out. Come on, tell him, tell him, tell him. I'll run in. I won't run out. When everything is going wrong, I'll be the, I can get a hold of Jesus when you can't get to him by yourself. See, I, I just want to brag just for a moment. I don't, I don't like to brag a lot, but I, I, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on you. These people in this room, these people in this body have proven themselves. They have this tendency... We're crazy. We run towards trouble, not away from trouble. We, we're just a little bit off because we watch some of you go through some unbelievable things. And when everybody else, family members and lifelong friends and people you thought were your best buds, turned their back on you, we didn't. We ran towards. And we said, hey, we see our friends and our family members and our body members hurting. And we're here for we've proven. You guys have proven that you're the right place. You're the right place. You're the right place. And so we can see all of your issues. We can look and see all your deficiencies. We can see you limp. And we can touch Jesus for you. I'm in the right place. Last, but let me, let, let me say this. There's a scene in the movie, I didn't play it for you, uh, that robot thing. He's not, uh, not R2-D2, so I don't know. That's the depth of my Star Wars knowledge. Um, the robot thing, uh, Cassian and the other uh, rebellion fighters were going to rescue Jen because she was in uh, Im Imperial uh, lockdown. That's what she was in, Imperial Lockdown. This is a stretch. Next week, we're talking about, like, next week is like a war movie. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> she's in Imperial Bondage. They got her in this thing. It's like a thing. It's a, it's a, it's a big truck thing. I don't know. A transport. Thank you. They're transporting her. They're, they're, it's a paddy wagon on steroids. Uh, they're transporting her to prison, and they find out uh, the rebellion finds out, and so they go to break her free. And the robe, and she's she, they they break open the back door of the paddy wagon, and these rebellion fighters go in, and they're like fighting the stormtroopers. No, what are they with all that stuff on? 
I don't know. The guys in the white, the white guys, the robot-looking guys, they're fighting all of them, and, and she, she jumps up, and she destroys all of them. Then she starts fighting the, resisting, the resistance fighters because she didn't know that, that they were for her. And so she jumps out of the back of the paddy wagon, and the robot catches her midair and slams her, boom, on the ground and makes this statement. He says, quit resisting rescue. Here's the challenge this morning. Some of you are in the right place with the right people, but you are resisting rescue. And my question is, why? And I think I know. I'm going to get out of your way because this this is going to mess you up. I think we resist rescue because we've accepted our current placement as our permanent placement. You say, well, some of y'all saying it's good. Some of you are going, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. Well, that guy fell off the ladder. He's hurt himself. And let me give you two examples. Moses shows up on the scene, and he is the right people. He ran to trouble. He was the right person. He rallies to his kinsmen and their trouble. He's called and anointed to deliver. Stay with me here. Stay with me. But the children of Israel are so accustomed to being slaves that they can't even discern that a deliverer has just walked in the door. So they attack the deliverer and they reject him and it costs them decades more of bondage. Okay, stay with me. If we become convinced that our current placement is our permanent placement, then we will dismiss the right people and we will gravitate to the wrong people. You are, listen, some of you are so unaccustomed to people rushing in when things go wrong that when, when you wind up in the right place and people rush to your rescue that you will begin to literally resist rescue. You push them away. You won't let them get close. You won't return phone calls. You won't respond to Facebook messages. You won't you you cocoon yourself in isolation. You build up walls. You 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 attack simply because you think that the way it is right now is the way it's always supposed to be. Okay, some of you aren't convinced, so let me give you the second example. Let's see if I convince you. In the second example, I read to you an account out of Acts. The writer of Acts uh, gives some detail that we often read right over and we miss the importance. Are, are y'all good? I'm almost done, I promise. I promise. Just a few more statements, I'll be out of your way. Then you can do whatever you need to do. The writer of Acts makes this statement. He says, the man was lame from birth. My question is, why does that detail matter? Think about it. Is it any more, or is it any less dramatic if what he had said was, first of all, he doesn't say how long he's been, if he'd never said how long he was lame. Or is it any less dramatic if he'd have said, this man was lame since Christmas? Makes no difference in the account. 
doesn't to me, but it should. Notice what it says. See, lame is lame. Right? Lame is lame. But it says he's been lame since birth. This man has been so lame for so long that when he comes face to face with somebody that can do something about his lameness, he asks for money rather than healing. Instead of asking guys that they knew had been with Jesus, he had been lame for so long that he's come to the conclusion that what I need from you is I need a couple of coins so I can go get me a cup of coffee. Rather than saying, hey guys, you've been with Jesus. What I would really, what I really need is I really need for you to heal me. I'll settle rather for some money. What that account tells me by him saying that he was lame since birth and by the fact that he asked disciples who had been with Jesus for money rather than for healing, it tells me that he had come to the conclusion that walking was no longer a possibility. That's where some of you are today. You've been alone in your troubles so long that you don't even think there's a possibility to get home. Some of you have been hurt so many times that you don't even think the body of Christ can actually act like Christ. So when the body of Christ tries to act like Christ, you resist rescue because you've given up on the possibility that there might actually be a body somewhere around you that knows how to love like Jesus loved that will run to you instead of run away from you and won't post your troubles on Facebook or ridicule your troubles or make fun of you, but instead they will rush towards you. But you've been lame for so long and hurt so bad that you don't even think it's possibility anymore. Some of you have been rejected so many times that you won't even consider let anybody getting anyone to get close again. Some of you have been used so many times that you don't even believe it's possible to serve and for people to actually care more about you than they care about what you do. But I need you to take another look around you. Because I want to declare you, to you this morning that you are in the right place with the right people. And they reveal that because we refuse to allow you to become comfortable in your bondage, that because we refuse to allow you to stay discouraged, that we can look at you and say, welcome home. Because a group of people have gathered in the name of Jesus, and because we run towards one another when we're hurting, and we are refuse to allow you to stay addicted, and we refuse to allow you to stay broken, welcome home. Because I can say to you that we 
will refuse to allow your, your relationships to rupture and for you to have to go to, through life all by yourself. And because we will not let you be alone and we will not let you fight and resist and be broken the rest of your life, then welcome home. We are a group of people. You are in the right place with the right people that see in you your brokenness, but we refuse to allow you to stay there so we can say, welcome home, but you have to partner with us. You can't keep resisting rescue. You can't keep fighting people that care so much about you that would rally around you, but I don't want to talk to you. I won't return your calls. I won't spend any time with you. I'll, I'll shoot you the lie. I'm blessed. I'm good. And you know you're broken. Placement is paramount. You have got to go back and examine the people in your life and figure out by how they respond to your trouble whether you are home or not. And once you recognize that you are in the right with the right people in the right place, then, then sure, you've got to quit. You've got to stop fighting rescue. God assigns people to us. God sends people to us, but we're people. And if you resist people long enough, they will quit trying. It doesn't matter how much they love Jesus. And some of y'all keep beating up the people that God keeps sending you. And then you want to go, well, nobody cares about me. It's because you beat them away every time they come. And they've tried to help you and they've tried to rescue. But you won't. Okay, y'all are done with me. I, I got it. Kim, come on. They're finished. They're done. I just want to tell some of you, welcome home. Welcome home. As broken as you are. As beat up as you are, if you would understand this morning that God sent you to this place with these people and you don't have to fight us and you don't have to be scared of us, you can trust these people. I've watched them. I have watched people in this room. I have watched them make a mad dash into situations that everybody, it was like it was like a ship going down and everybody was bailing. I watched people in this room rally and run and help when nobody else would help. Because of that, I can tell you, if you will quit fighting and resisting rescue, you're home. This is home. I can tell you this morning from my own experience in my own life and the troubles that we face. I know y'all think pastors' families are perfect and we glow in the dark all the time. But that's not reality. We've had trouble. We have situations. We have moments of brokenness, discouragement. And I can tell you from my own experiences here that in every situation at every time when everybody could have bailed people ran in. And because of that this is home. You say, well Steve, I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad. These aren't your ordinary people. People reveal placement. Your home. This is home. Father, this morning, 
there are folks in this room who have experienced so much trouble and turmoil and pain in their life that they have almost become convinced that their current placement is their permanent placement. But Father, I pray this morning what you would do is you would remind us that we're in the right place with the right people. God, I pray this morning that we would have a, a moment in our own mind and heart in the privacy, not, not down in front of everybody, just in the privacy of our own heart, that we would kind of come to our own senses and we would look around us and evaluate and go, this is what home feels like. Father, the folks in this room that have gone through the, the crushing devastation of death. They've lost somebody that's close. They've witnessed as members of this congregation have rushed in. I pray that this morning you would remind them that they're home. Father, for those in this room that have gone through the, the heart-rending breakup of relationship, whether that be an engagement, whether that be a marriage, whether that be a long-term friendship. Father, there, there are these moments of sincere and deep pain. We thought our world was coming to an end. We didn't want to get out of bed. We'd pulled the covers up over our head and curled up and thought we, it's always going to be like this, but people in this room refused to let us wallow in depression say it's always going to be like this and I'm never going to get over this and I'll never find anybody and nobody will ever love me again and nobody will ever want me again and Father this morning I pray that you speak deep within their spirit and they would they would feel like and this is what home feels like Father for those that are in this room that have gone through financial moments of despair provision lacking people in this body found out and rallied. I pray that not this this morning that what you would do is that out of that they would sense this is this is this is home. Father out of that I pray that what you would do in this moment is what I cannot do. I pray that you would help us to quit fighting and resisting rescue. You've assigned certain people in this body to certain people and every time we reach out, we, we're met with resistance, avoidance. And I pray today that all that would stop and we would recognize that we can trust one another. This is the body of Christ and we're acting like Jesus when we run to trouble. And I pray that somehow, some way, you would help us to no longer resist when you're trying to rescue. Help us to experience home in Jesus' name. I want you to stand with me. We're not going to tarry here long, but I feel like we need to do this. Stand with me quickly.
two, 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 just two simple things that we're going to do. Some will apply to some and some will apply to the other. And I'm not going to differentiate between the two. Here it is. The Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to some of you. And when I release you to do this, you need to find people that God has assigned you to. And you need to hug them up. tell them welcome home there will be others of you that the Holy Spirit will remind you that he's already you already have approached people in the past and tried to help and they've resisted you they wouldn't return your calls they didn't answer your texts they they ran away from you every time they saw you and the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of that and what I need you to do this morning in, in all sincerity sincerity and in love is to approach them and say, I'm here for you if you'll quit fighting me while I try to rescue you. And I believe in that moment what's going to happen is God is going to break some barriers down and you're going to find somebody that will rally to you when you need it most. Father, this morning, give us boldness, give us courage, give us insight, give us discernment. Help us to know who we're supposed to go and encourage. And yes, even confront, but in love so that together we arrive home. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. I, I, I release you for just a few moments, not very long. Would you find three or four people that the Holy Spirit kind of points out to you and welcome them home? Just tell them, welcome home. I, I'll rally around you. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. Well, if you're visiting here today is your first time, let me just say this to you. Welcome home. We're glad you're here. We have a gift for you, fresh snickerdoodle cookies uh, that my mom makes back there that I'll get back there and hand to you as quick as I can. If you're here for the second time, come and see me. I have a coupon for uh, free large pizza from Papa Angelo's. Best pizza in Oklahoma City as far as I'm concerned, just as a way of saying welcome home. 
Our ushers are coming this morning to wait on you for your um, morning tithes and offerings. And I just encourage you to remain faithful. God always reveals his faithfulness in response to faithfulness. Amen. And so I encourage you to continue to give. Let me mention three things very quickly to you and then I'll let you go this morning. Number one, if you have been attending Passion for a short period of time, uh, we have a luncheon set up for you today, our VIP luncheon, because you are so important to us. Uh, no agenda or program. It's simply for us to eat together and get to know one another a little bit better. And so as soon as we dismiss, if you would make your way back to our fellowship hall. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.